Here comes the rundown. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast, the rundown episode number six with my pilot, co-pilot, Bo Coleman. How's it going, Bo buddy? Coleman. Hey, it's going well, man. How about yourself? Man, it's been a fun week. I was out in Atlanta, Georgia this week having some meetings and back here providing the people the goodness that they expect from this podcast. I'm so glad to be back on the mic with you. You and me both, man. I had to get down from Oklahoma, took a hunting trip up there this week. Yeah, I think your brother shot a camel, it looked like, from the pictures I saw. <laughs> Uh, that would be a uh, cow elk. Cow elk. Well, All I know is I saw this uh, this little small looking camel thing on the ground. No, I'm excited. It's going to give us some good meat coming up here pretty quickly. Awesome. Guys, we are so excited to be here with you this week. As always, today's show is brought to you by the Human Charger, which, Bo, have you had a chance to go check out the Human Charger yet? Yes. Did you get you charged up? It did. So, guys, if you haven't checked out the science behind the Human Charger, this is a device that for loyal listeners of the Success 101 podcast, you know I cannot stop talking about about if you put the white light with blue infused light LED earbuds into your ears, the photoreceptor proteins on your brain capture this light and gives your mind the same perception as looking at the sun. But if you put these things in your ears, you'll notice it's not like a caffeine kick. It's not like you went out and had three or four cups of venti espresso shots from Starbucks. But what it does is it raises your overall energy. It raises your overall awareness to where you're ready to take on the day What a brilliant design that the people over at Valky have come up with. And I was so happy to get to partner with them because this is something I absolutely believe in. My team's made it super easy for you guys to snag 15% off of your order. So head over to success101podcast.com forward slash human charger. Enter success101 in the promo or checkout code there. You're going to get 15% off your order. And I cannot wait to hear, for those of you who go out and try it for the first time, how it has really changed your pursuit to peak performance here in the new year and what it's doing for you guys on your overall awareness. And really, for me, Bo, just slamming less caffeine, mm-hmm. being more alert in the mornings for early meetings that I have. Just overall, this is a device that should have been a long time coming, and it took the people over at Valky to go and create it. And so we're so happy to be able to provide it for you guys as listeners. So yeah, the Human Charger, awesome device. I'm a believer. Transformer. Um, Transformer, that's right. Yes. So, Jared, I got another story for you today. What would be a podcast with Bo without a story? Oh, there wouldn't be a podcast with Bo without here. a story. That's right. Yeah, that's I'd, right. I'd, I'd, I'd probably just ask you to leave. I'd be something. a pilot somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, today's story, train robber. Wow. Yeah. Okay, we're going uh, train robberies. You're probably going... Old West. A, a Wild West. Wild West. Wild West. That's right. I'm excited. That's right. So, buckle up, If partner. there's anything that I've read up a lot on... Uh, besides, you know, living in Texas, of course, yeah. always been in Texas my whole life. If there's anything that I've read up on more than the revolutionary period, it's the taming of the West. So I'm excited about this. There's just something so attractive to me about the American West. I just, I love the time period. The bathing probably wasn't all that great, but other than that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I was just thinking when you said, I, I love the time period, I bet they didn't. 
Right. Things are probably a little bit You know, bit we tough. live in a time today where we can look around and go, man, the internet, technology, healthcare, everything around us, money, capital, capitalism. Yeah. There's right. a, it's a great time to be alive. I'm not sure that they woke up on their dirt floor with chickens around them, uh, freezing through the night and, uh, <laughs> you know, suffering through all the diseases they did and then still had to go out and till the field that day with their oxen. I doubt they looked at each other and go, what a smashing time to be alive. <laughs> Probably not. I think I've said it before. My grandfather used to say, you know what the good thing about the good old days was? And I say, what? And he'd go, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all fun and games until you get a toothache. That's right. It just kind of seems like life was more simple back then, though. And I think that's just, you know, I don't know. It's just there's all these legends and all these stories. So I've just been very fascinated with it for a very long time. So naturally, I got a good story for you today. I'm ready to hear it. Let's dive in. Robert Leroy Parker. Robert Leroy Parker, okay. Was born in Beaver. Hey, speaking of Beaver. Were we speaking of Beaver? The cowboy hat. Oh, that's right. That's right. Bo's wearing a cowboy hat for this session, and now it all ties back together as to why he would do that. You're really getting into character. I had to get into character. That's right. Robert Leroy Parker was born in Beaver, Utah on April 13th, 1866. Man, that's interesting. You say Beaver, and I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm thinking, but I'm not thinking Utah, the state that probably has the least amount of water anywhere for beavers to go and salt lake city yeah they, they can't live in salt no, you're right somebody just you're came, right somebody that. came over from somewhere else we lived in beaver we shall call this beaver <laughs> <laughs> the date the time period 1866 just so you can get your bearings 1866 down. okay he was the oldest of 13 children in his mormon family robert grew up working on his family's ranch which was about 200 miles south of salt lake city when he was in his early teens robert packed up and left home in search of work he found a job at a dairy farm where he met his mentor a cowboy and cattle wrestler, Mike Cassidy. Mike Cassidy. Mike Cassidy. Is that, uh, are we going to Butch Cassidy here? Is we might be. Going? Okay. We might be. Okay, I'm on might your be. trail. And for those of you guys who don't know, a wrestler, whether it's cattle, horse, which Mike would do at all, basically just means he would steal them, mark them as his own sometimes, and then sell them to other people for more money. Okay, so they weren't already marked in most cases, I guess. Or he'd mark over, he'd brand over them. Like a tattoo of some uh, old ex's name that you turn into like a cool symbol <laughs> as a single guy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, didn't that used to say Angelo when we'd hang out on the weekends, and now it's just some cool, like, tribal symbol? <laughs> that sounds really oddly specific. Of course, those are my cattle. Why would they be any different? Look at that sign on them. <laughs> That has another brand in there with a line through it and then another brand next to it. Uh, no. My cattle were all marked five and yours are fives with an apostrophe S. With an apostrophe S. I guess they're yours. I can't prove any different. That's right. Robert admired Mike and wanted to be just like him. Over the next few years, Robert worked on a few other ranches, including a brief period as a butcher where he got the nickname Butch. Butch wanted to live the life that Mike had, but did not want to bring dishonor to his family, who were Mormon. So, in honor of his old friend, he took up the last name Cassidy. This is probably one of the first stories I've ever heard where someone's a Mormon and doing things that totally are not what you should be doing. I mean, the Mormons historically are known for not drinking, being the nicest, not lying, not cheating, playing by the book, doing a lot of dentistry and teeth pulling. Well, it's actually funny you say that. Because, uh, you know, on the notes that I was reading to research the story, by all accounts, Cassidy was a charming thief who was well-liked and who never, like, they believed he never killed anyone, ever. I know in the reading that I've done on him in the past, that was kind of his trademark, whereas Mm -hmm. a lot of people, I could be getting this wrong, but I think it's like Jesse James and other people, they would actually let the media or the newspapers build up the stories of how many people 
that right. they've killed just to kind of enhance their image. And this guy really did the opposite. Yeah. Really boasting about, hey, we don't kill anybody. Which just- played into the public's kind of love for them. They loved reading about these guys. And they also kind of admired the fact that these guys were just going crazy, but they weren't like hurting people in the process of it. Isn't it funny how the public really forgets about your flaws if you're <laughs> somewhat romanticizing them with the great job that you're doing and other things, even if it's yeah. criminal activity? Yeah, we were just talking about yeah, this, actually. T- Tiger Woods. Yeah, Tiger Woods. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you've done. As long as you're good at something, people will love you. That's right. Butch's first crime happened in 1880 when he went to a local clothier shop in another town to buy a pair of jeans. When he got there, the shop was closed, so he broke in, stole a pair of jeans, and some pie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, every clothier I go to has, uh, (laughs) when they're closed especially, has fresh hot pie sitting out. But you know what I always say about cowboys? Polishing your pants on saddle leather don't make you a rider. So we'll see if he's (laughs) going to be. (laughs) Butch did leave an IOU promising to pay on his next visit. He's an honest guy. Yeah. It's an IOU. This is just as good as money, sir. Mr. Samsonite, about the briefcase, my friend Harry and I have every intention of fully reimbursing you. Open it up! Go ahead. Open it up. Do what he says. What is this? What is this? Where's all the money? That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. Go ahead and add it up. Every cent's accounted for. Look, see this? That's a car. 275000 Might want to hang on to that one. <laughs> the clothier, uh, he pressed charges anyways. Uh, however, Butch was acquitted at a jury trial, so... Nobody he, cared. Yeah, but I think he actually did pay the guy back. Okay, so that's uh, why. Yeah. From 1884 to 1870, Butch continued to work on ranches in Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana, while also selling stolen horses to other buyers. So, so, so he knows these horses. So he's still kind of committing an act of crime here. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He, that was his first crime was the pie, and now he's actually stealing horses and selling them to buyers. And he's going down a, uh, a long road here that you really can't push the reset button on. He's following in his old mentor Mike's shoes. As they always say, it's easier letting the cat out of the bag than putting it back in. <laughs> it's just like as they say, you can't keep trouble from visiting, but you certainly don't have to offer it a chair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In Colorado, he got into horse racing with a friend, Matt Warner, who also liked to steal things. Oh, it's a piece, company, piece of a pod. Yeah, they stick Is together. That, on June 24th, 1889, Butch, Warner, and two others robbed their first bank in Telluride, Colorado. Man, you know the crazy thing about this story is there's so much, I mean, you can only cover so much on a podcast, but right. there's so much color between the lines here that we're just, I mean, what's going on in this guy's mind? Oh, yeah. He comes from a Mormon family, doesn't want to disgrace his family, so he changes his name. He starts stealing but, jeans and pie. And, and, pie, and that leads to horses, and then also he starts robbing banks. Like I said, you can't keep going with this. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to push the uh, reset button on once you're down that path. Yeah. Uh, so they, they steal, they rob from the bank in Telluride, Colorado, steal. $21,000, which in 2017 was equivalent to about $572,000. Holy cow. Yeah, not bad. You know, they also say the quickest way to double your money, not robbing banks, the quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it in your back pocket. <laughs> I've been following up my entire life. They fled to southeastern Utah to lie low at Robber's Roost, which if I were a lawman, is the first place I would look for anyone who's just broken any laws. Hey, come here, boys. You know what? We keep visiting this place a lot and busting guys. Let's set up a camp here. Nah, that's too easy. I mean, just can you imagine the conversation going on, like, in the sheriff's 
office, you know, I like got that the jail, just laying a map down the table. All right, we got a list of locations. They can either be here at Happy Haven, be here in uh, Victory Valley or Robber's Roost. Which one should we look at first? Ah, uh, definitely Happy Haven. They've got to be happy they stole all that money, right? Yeah, and they need it. Let's haven. go after them. That sounds good. Let's go that way. I mean, why give up if you know the cops are going to be going somewhere else. Yeah, and there's not really a quick way to pass information along from point to point back then either. They didn't have telephones, the internet, they had telegraphs, but... Oh, those were too slow. Yeah. They'd be on their way already. Yeah. And like I said, why give up? It's like they used to say, there's no place around the campfire for a quitter's blanket. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even sure. (laughs) All right. That means once we get into this, we ain't stopping. That's true. In 1894, Cassidy was arrested for stealing horses and operating a protection racket for the ranchers in Wyoming. Basically, they would do what a lot of the gangsters and uh, mafia would do in New York, where they'd go to local businesses and they'd say, oh, nice store you got here. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> and then you got to pay them for their protection. Once they say that, there's no going back. Oh, no. You're a target. <laughs> It's a nice window you got here. They would be in uh, what they used to call, they'd be in a wrinkle. Be in a wrinkle. Uh, Once he was put in prison, uh, he served 18 months, but was pardoned by the governor in 1896. Despite his criminal background, Cassidy had a reputation for keeping his word. One story goes... He's such a great guy. I know, right? Sounds like a Mormon. What an outstanding guy. Sounds like a Mormon. Uh, He had a reputation for keeping his word. As one story goes, on the night before he was to begin his sentence, Cassidy asked to be released, promising he'd return to jail the following day. Authorities took him at his word and let him go. (laughs) Hey, guys, I just need to take a stroll in the moonlight here. I promise I'll come right back. So they let him go, but he did return to them the following morning. Oh, he had something cooked up. Well, so I actually did find what might have possibly been the reason, but before he was arrested, Cassidy had started dating a girl, Ann Bassett. Ann Bassett. Ann Bassett, who was also an outlaw and the daughter of an old rancher that Cassidy was working with. When he got out of jail after the 18 months, Cassidy, I don't know what Ann was up to, but Cassidy went and started dating her older sister, Josie. Like, that's just... I don't know. Uh, he dated Josie for a short amount of time and then went back to Anne. The, I mean, old Western, like, criminals and stuff like we're talking about here are kind of fascinating because they're doing things that, like, you know, they're, they're kind of cutting edge on how they do certain things, right? Right. But it's the women that really boggle my mind. It's like, how does this woman in this picture, like, old black and white picture you look at, and it's like Annie Oakley and, like, all you know, Ann Bassett and these people, yeah. it's like— they look like just normal women, but yeah. no, they they had killed people. Yeah. They put a bullet between people's eyes. I mean, what makes them get up every day and go, let's go at it again? <laughs> I mean, I, I what I find funny about that is the fact that he's dating this girl and the whole time must be eyeing her older sister on the side because he goes to prison, gets out, and instead of going to visit his old girlfriend, he goes and visits her older sister. Well, he's got a second chance. You get a second chance? You got to make it right. So like a, like a redo. Yeah, redo. Yeah, okay. Push that reset button. Yeah, hit the re- – okay. So yeah, he goes and he starts dating Josie for a little bit and then goes back to Anne afterwards. Oh, we'll see. That's uh, – yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> I love women. I cherish women. I have given women more opportunity than I would say virtually anybody. Nah, that's, uh, that's what they would call lower than a snake's belly. <laughs> okay. And she just accepted him back, I'm sure. Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, if he, I mean, if he, it seems like a good-hearted guy. So I mean, there's he's charming man. Slim Pickens back then, right? So I Slim mean, she's, she's probably happy to accept him back. After his release, it was right back to the life of crime, and Butch Cassidy began recruiting his gang. 
I got a great list of the names, just the nicknames back then. <laughs> I'm, you're already laughing. Yeah, why, why I'm, I'm just about. thinking like a Dick, Dick Tracy episode. Yeah. So among the members were William Ellsworth, Elsie. Elsie. Okay, I can see that one. Harvey Kid Curry Logan. Ben Kilpatrick, who didn't need a nickname. Yeah, I mean, that's Kilpatrick's a, a pretty awesome last yeah. name. Hi, we're just, uh, no, no need to spend any time thinking about yours. You just stay the way you are. <laughs> you have Kill in your name. That's what we're doing here. That's right. Uh, Harry Tracy was another one. Then there was Will News Carver, Laura Bullion, and George Flatnose Curry. George there Flatnose it is. Curry. There it is. And what I remember reading about Butch Cassidy is George Flatnose Curry and his Kid brother, I think you just mentioned Kid Kid Curry. Kid Curry, which sounds like a rapper to me. Oh, it's Kid Cuddy. Oh, oh good. There we go. It took me a second. Day and night. What? What? Day and night. So those guys, from what I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, they were in like kind of the original Butch Cassidy. They were known as the Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. That's right. Yeah, the Wild Bunch. And I, and I know they took a very famous photo together, not far oh. down the road from here. And I don't want to get too far yep. ahead, but I'm sure you're going to cover that. I'm going to cover okay. that. Okay, I'm going to shut my sauce box here. <laughs> Your sauce box. After robbing a bank in Idaho, Cassidy recruited Harry Alonzo Longabaugh, a Pennsylvania native known as the Sundance Kid. Sundance Kid. There he is. I was wondering when he was going to come into the picture. Mm-hmm. And, and they met in Idaho. It was after a robbery in Idaho. I guess they ran into each other and they were like, oh, we should start hanging out. You know know. what they say. They say never hire the people you drink with. Oh, I'd be in trouble. That's a good life lesson. That is a good life lesson. The wild bunch would typically separate following a robbery and flee in different directions. So they they rob a bank and they just scatter like cockroaches and turn a light on. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Later reuniting at a predetermined location such as Robber's Roost or Madam Fanny's Brothel in San Antonio, Texas. Time out. Okay. Madam Madam Fanny's Madam Fanny brothel. Oh, what's her real name? Because you know it's not that. <laughs> well, I mean, she was born for this. Born and bred for it. What should we call the brothel? Well, Wait, stop right there. Okay. I've got a great name for you. Madam You're, Fanny. But your name your name is Madam Fanny. Absolutely. You do realize this is a brothel. Can you imagine the amount of jokes that people are going to tell about this place? One company that they were hitting relentlessly, the group, the Wild Bunch, was the Union Pacific Railroad. In 1896, Utah became a U.S. state, and Butch approached the governor to talk about a plea for amnesty. The yeah. governor declined but told Cassidy instead he might want to talk to the Union Pacific about possibly dropping their charges against him. Okay, so he kind of deflects it back over. Right. He's not going to grant a pardon, but if the Union Pacific forgives Cassidy, then okay, I'll, I'll consider it. So unable to prevent the robberies, the Union Pacific Railroad saw this as an opportunity to make an agreement with Cassidy. A pardon would be offered in exchange for the promise of ending his robberies and coming to work for the company as an express guard. Is that kind of what we're dealing with right now with North Korea? It's I'll, uh, if you have a meeting with me and drop these sanctions, I'll stop all nuclear threats whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much exactly what, what it was. Yeah, mm, Red flag up. But then that would be like having Kim Jong-un come work for us as well as vice president or something. That's why I'm saying when you get into this life of crime, it never gets any easier. It mm-hmm. only gets worse. Like as a kid, when they used to say, you're telling one lie, you're telling many lies. And it's just like those cowboys used to say, when you climb into the saddle, you better be prepared to ride. <laughs> <laughs> 
much. I ain't no going back on this. But unable to break his old habits, Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, and others robbed a Union Pacific train shortly after that, pretty much ending any chance of amnesty. There was, was that the, uh, again, again, going off memory here, is that the train that they literally blew up with dynamite and they used so much dynamite trying to get that safe open? I don't know. Okay, so so one of his most notorious things that he got in the newspaper for because it was the first time, I mean, you think back to like 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People use planes and it's like, oh my gosh, like, yes, we could have conceived that, but who would have thought anybody would have ever done that? Two planes. So similar thing, go back to their day in all the newspapers that were being printed then, which weren't as many as today, right. but their big caption was, they use dynamite. It's like people are just so amazed, like we knew dynamite for clearing trails and for doing whatever, yeah. but they actually attached so much dynamite to this train to try to get this safe open because the conductor didn't know the, the, the combination yeah he said only the people who are receiving this in st louis the federal marshals receiving this know the code oh, so they wow. said unhook your locomotive from all these trailers and then they kept all the trains behind they found the one that had the safe in it they couldn't get the safe open of course mm. they put so much dynamite on the train that literally it just mangled into a bunch of metal and there was like bills and coins and gold and everything oh, just flying that, all over the, oh, <laughs> the, the desert at that point yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. On June 2nd, 1899, the gang robbed a Union Pacific passenger train near Wilcox, Wyoming. Then a month later, they robbed another train outside of Folsom, New Mexico, hauling in a whopping $70,000. Remember I said $21,000 was equivalent to like 572? They just stole $70,000. And what's crazy is the trains back then, before a lot of this started happening with guys like this, they didn't arm their people. They were just like, it's a train. Who can ever stop a train? Yeah. That's the robbery that earned the Wild Bunch a great deal of notoriety and resulted in a massive manhunt partially funded by Union Pacific. Yeah. I mean, that that was kind of their first. That's why I mentioned it. It was stood out to me as their first big, huge thing that they did and got so much money off of it that that's where people really started going after them. Yeah. And, and and like I said, I mean, it's crazy. you got these these robbers that are starting to use dynamite and other things. And yeah. the train people aren't even armed with anything. They're just like, oh, please don't shoot me. Yeah. No, it's crazy. It's like, like the guys back then used to say, a pair of six shooters certainly beats a pair of aces. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Hey, look at my cards. Hey, look at my gun. Get off this train. <laughs> oh, you can't beat that. Just got a straight flush. How about I put my revolver right upside your forehead? <laughs> Get this train out of here, boy. (laughs) So now we have a massive manhunt underway. Lawmen searching for leads approach family of the gang to, you know, find who might know where they are. So in February of 1900, Kid Curry's brother, Lonnie. (laughs) What? What? Uh, He was killed in a shootout with lawmen at Lonnie's aunt's house. So they got him. Yeah. Well, Lonnie wasn't part of the Wild Bunch. He was just the younger brother and the he was getting arrested for something. He's like, man, I'm not even part of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. But they went ahead and put him in a pine overcoat. A pine overcoat? Yeah, it's a casket. Oh, got it. That. Yeah, they did. They did. I wish we still called it that. I think I will from now on. I think I will. Just go to a funeral home and say that during the wake and see how far it gets you. (laughs) Well, this pine overcoat sure looks good. Boy, they sure did a good job on Grandpa. Putting him in that pine overcoat and all the makeup work they did? What? <laughs> Can't tell who's more stiff right now. <laughs> yeah, they, like I said, there's probably a lot more to a lot of these stories than we have time to cover in a podcast. But it's hard for me to believe that some guy, you know, like you said, he's just kind of doing his own thing over there and he's not even part of the group. But then they come and like get him as well. It's like they say, never miss a good chance to shut up. <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot of stuff he was doing and saying that he shouldn't have been that you don't just go from I'm not part of the gang to dead for no reason. Well, they went to go get leads from him and find out if they knew where his brothers were. 
he started shooting at him, and they shot him back. Yeah, never miss a good chance to shut up. That yeah. would have been a good chance for him to keep his mouth Someone quiet. should have told Lonnie never miss a good chance to shut up. He tried to serve up a bowl of that loudmouth soup. Come on, let's go get a couple of bowls of loudmouth soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in April of that year, so 1900, George Flatnose Curry was killed by Utah Sheriff John Tyler and his deputy Sam Jenkins. So, so he, what, was he with the group or – he was kind of off by himself. He got killed in a shootout, and the other guys got away. But hey, George... guys, I really got to go over here and pee. Hang on one second. Oh, God, it's the law. <laughs> that's not a tree. That's a, that's a lawman. <laughs> I was so drunk, I couldn't tell. My, <laughs> my nose was so flat. Yeah, well, speaking of uh, speaking of being drunk, you know what they used to call it back then? What? Oh, he's just being all soapy-eyed. Soapy-eyed? That boy's full as a tick. And then another good one was... He's doing a lean away. A lean away? <laughs> for my favorite one. <laughs> oh, John's had so much of that rum to drink. Look at him. Just doing a lean away over Just there. Just doing a lean away. On May 26th, Kid Curry rode into Moab, Utah, and shot the sheriff and his deputy in retaliation for the death of his brothers, Lonnie and Flatnose. And he also got the deputy. And I also got the deputy. There you go. Good job, kid. Kid Curry. <laughs> Stuff's starting to get a little bit real now. It's gone from bank robberies and train robberies to now all of a sudden, okay, we're killing lawmen. Life was so much simpler back when I grabbed that pair of jeans and a pie. <laughs> yeah. I should have just stopped then. Why won't people just take IOUs? He's leaving IOUs everywhere he goes. <laughs> he's taking $70,000 from the train. <laughs> he's leaving He's leaving IOU notes in there. 75000 Might want to hang on to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for your train. I will replace it. <laughs> These people just getting so bent out of shape, like I'm taking all this money. I promise I'll pay it back. i sorry I ruined your black train party. <laughs> Deciding that it would be a good idea to get out of town, Cassidy and a few members of the Wild Bunch began heading south. They made it to Texas and holed up for a brief time in December of 1900. Five of the members, including Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, lined up for a photo in Fort Worth, Texas. The now famous picture of... The Fort Worth There you five. go. And that is what absolutely ruined them. Yep. Why did they do that? Dude, arrogance. There were times before when they were robbing these trains mm-hmm. where it's nighttime, you know, they're doing it in the middle of the night. And so they don't take proper consideration to, like, keep their bandanas on their face or whatever. And these conductors are going back to the wherever they're going and they're reporting these guys. Yeah. And then there's, like, sketches being made of them. And they're like, yep, that's that's the guys. I saw them. But it's just a sketch. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, we have a good feeling of what this guy looks like, but he could have changed his image or put on a bandana over his nose or whatever. But then it's like, I've got a great idea. Let's all go pose for a picture. Now, you better not show this to anybody now, kid. You hear? <laughs> yeah. We really, I mean, yeah. What, what, like, we just want to have this photo. We really want to remember the five of us together. We're Just make us five a copy. We're going to keep it. Don't you give out the negatives to anyone out, though, you hear? But, boy, we sure look good in that picture. Hmm. Rethinking what I told you before. What if you were to put that out on the front of your store there for everyone <laughs> to see? You know, I'm looking at this picture again. George, did you know you have a flat nose? Your nose is real flat. Is that why they always call me that? (laughs) Is that really what my nose looks like? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) It's all beginning to make sense now, huh? Actually, flat-nosed George was already dead by this time. (laughs) I I feel bad now. (laughs) I'm the ghost of Christmas past. He's he's wearing a pine overcoat. (laughs) 
It is really cool they did it in Fort Worth. That's my hometown, my, my that, side of town. I mean, I, I remember the very first time I read about that and knew that it was in Fort Worth. And I was like, man, why have I never heard of I literally live right down the road from this place. Oh, dude. Why have I not heard about that? Is that place still there? Where they took the photo? Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure if that place is still there. But I mean, Bro, you're you Fort Worthian. Right, I know. But you know the, the square right in the middle of downtown Fort Worth is called Sundance Square. That makes all the sense in the world now. Yeah. Sundance Square. Yep. Named after the Sundance Which, by kid. the way, every time I hear Sundance Kid, I just think of like the old like like dueling 1920s pianos where they're like. <laughs> <laughs> so Pinkerton agents, they got involved in the manhunt. They got a hold of the photo and they started using that for all the wanted photos. That's when guys. things just got crazy and cattywampus. Cattywampus. Over the next six months, Lawman began catching up with a few of the members because of the photo going out. They killed a uh, news car. Well, it literally created an instant wanted poster. Yeah. For yeah. all of them. They uh, they killed News Carver. They captured Ben Kilpatrick up in Tennessee, I believe it was. And uh, Kid Curry was in a couple of shootouts. He ended up killing two lawmen and fled to Montana. So basically, we've got the gang splitting up. Well, dude, not just splitting up, but listen to these places you're naming. Think of the states you just mentioned and how far apart they are of each other. Yeah. I mean, they're it's taking like, pictures. And, yeah. They're, and then months later, they finally reach their destination. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're taking pictures in Fort Worth. And then six months later, Kid Curry, almost said Kid Cuddy, has fled all the way to Montana. Well, hey, it's hard work being a, a criminal here, man. You yeah. got to travel long distances. You know, it's like they say, nobody ever drowned in their own sweat. <laughs> because of increasing pressure from law enforcement, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid traveled to New York City. New they- York City! New York City! Get a rope. <laughs> there they caught a boat heading down south. It was a British steamer named the Herminius, and they uh, were fleeing to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Buenos Aires. And they brought along the kid's uh, female companion, Etta Place. Etta Place. I remember reading about her. Etta Place. <laughs> Okay, girl, tomorrow we're going to go to this place. We're going to leave this place, and we're going to arrive at a place. Once we arrive at a place, you better have a new name for yourself. Oh, my God, your name's at a place. (laughs) But at a place, that's not a name for a female. Okay, we'll call you at a place. (laughs) Nobody knows who you are now. So they get to Buenos Aires, Argentina, and together the three of them, the three of them, which has got to be a little bit weird. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because he's kind of a third wheel now. Yeah. The guy who... Well, no, Ed, Ed is the third wheel on this one. Well, but she's with Sundance. Is she? Mm-mm. You never know which way a pickle will squirt. <laughs> <laughs> the movie is called Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Yeah, but that's because back whenever they made that, what year, the, like the motion picture, whatever, whatever year they made it, they just yeah. weren't even like recognizing women as actors back then. So that's why. It should have been like Sundance like Kid and whatever, bring along the boss of the job with them. And yeah. things just got crazy <laughs> after that. It's bring your boss to vacation day or something. <laughs> so they settled down in a four-bedroom log cabin on a 15,000-acre ranch on Rio Blanco just east of the Andes Mountain. 15,000 acres. Four-bedroom. That's kind of strange. Yeah, it is kind of strange. I guess they were expecting company. That wasn't going to sleep with either one of them? (laughs) I don't know. Hey, we're hiding out here. We're in a totally different country than we came from. But what if somebody wants to come over? Great (laughs) job. Get four bedrooms. They obviously have the money to do it. They bought 15,000. The place I was just out this last weekend was 3,000 acres, and it was huge. But also, from what I remember, they bought tons of cows, tons of horses, like 23 horses and like 3,100 head of cattle or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of strange. Well, yeah. Th- I mean, three years passed, and they were you know, pretty quiet. Not a whole lot was being heard from them at all. They were lying pretty dang low. 
So February 1905, two English-speaking bandits robbed a bank in Rio Gallegos, Argentina, which I know for 100% is not how you say it. Rio Gallegos. So they robbed a bank in Rio Gallegos, Argentina, taking what would amount to about $100,000 in today's time, which is very low compared to what they have been bringing in on previous robberies. The Pinkerton Agency became aware of the trio's location because of the trends going on and two bank robbers. They, they had a feeling they'd gone somewhere. But they're still held up in Happy Haven looking for those held guys. Held up in Happy They've Haven. They've got to be. Yeah, absolutely. I know they're around here somewhere. That's Keep a, searching under every rock. Hey, detective, do you think we should check this robber's roost place? I mean, that kind of seems like it would be something that I would go to if I was a robber. Did you know that in uh, 127 hours that place became famous again where the dude cut his arm off here in Ralston? Wait. That movie, 127 yeah. Hours, yeah, where yeah, he yeah, cut yeah. his arm off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it, where, that's where it was. Like, in, he says it over and over again in the movie that that's where he is. Where? Robber's Roost. Really? Yeah. It, like, made it like made a comeback a century later, 100 years later with that movie. Are you kidding me? No. Go back and watch it. That's Fact awesome. No, I, I, I believe you. You're saying it with such confidence right now. I can't. Because I remember once he said that, I was like, that's not the same place as I read about with Butch Cassidy and all those guys. And then he kept talking about Utah. And I was like, that is. That's it. It's got wow. Be. Yeah. And have you ever seen it? Yeah. Yeah. So you you know how cavernous With James Franco. Place? Yep. Yeah. You know how cavernous that place is? That's yeah. where all these dudes were hiding out just to give Whoa. our listeners some perspective there. Right. That's crazy. So the Pinkerton Agency had become aware of the trio's location and they wanted to arrest them. But because of the harsh Patagonia winner... It was pretty much impossible for their agent, Frank DeMaio, to carry out an arrest. Local governor, Julio Lazana, issued an arrest warrant, but before it could be executed, Sheriff Edward Humphreys was friendly with Cassidy and also enamored with at a place he tipped them off, and so they were able to get away. The trio sold their ranch and fled north to Chile to hide for seven months, but were back in Argentina within a year when they robbed another bank, taking about 12,000 pesos. So then Which they is went like twelve thousand two dollars two bucks yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly what I was gonna say <laughs> man our luck's really wearing thin but we gotta just keep going <laughs> so after they're robbing the bank they went back to Chile so they're in Argentina they go back to Chile so around this time Edda decided that she was pretty much over it with the life on the run and wanted to go back home so Sundance escorted her back up to San Francisco. And when he returns six months later, Wait, that's 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 not. If I'm going to escort a girl, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to walk her to her. Down I'm probably going to walk her to her car and maybe open the door. <laughs> I'm not going to go from Buenos Aires <laughs> to San Francisco. <laughs> wow, what a gentleman! Yeah, walks her out through a horse, puts her on the horse. All right, you think you got it from here? Okay. Yeah, so like seriously, he was gone for six months. He went up to San Francisco to take her there and then came straight back. Probably not dallying, you know, dilly-dallying at all. Uh, well, I had a fun night. Think I could come in for a kiss, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm tired. Gonna, I think I'm going to go on inside. You're not going <laughs> to invite me in for a nightcap? No? All right. <laughs> Guess I'll travel back down half the world yeah, while lawmen and Pinkerton agents are chasing me and... Yeah, that's crazy, though. But that just shows, like, the, like, resolve and strength of these guys. I think what it really shows is that women run the show if they have you Oh, gosh. If up. we've learned anything from the last two podcasts, <laughs> yeah. it's that. But, yeah. you know, I mean, like I said in the last show, it's like you, you think about the resolve and the strength of these guys. And, yeah. you know, I say the same thing they used to say back in the Wild West. You can't tell how good a man or a watermelon is till they get thumped. <laughs> What even? <laughs> so when Sundance returned six months later, he found Butch working on a tin mine in Bolivia under the names 
James Santiago Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> his alias has a What's nickname. his name? No, no, no. His other name. No, no, his name before that. No, what's his birth name? <laughs> That's pretty. From Robert to Butch to James to Santiago. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder we can't find these people. His job, by the way, while working at the tin mine, he was in charge of guarding the company's payroll. <laughs> Talk about reading someone the wrong way. He seems like a very trustworthy man. Well, he passed the interview. You know what? Your skills right here, I think a perfect fit for you would be watching our payroll that's supposed to go to our employees. You don't seem like you would ever mishandle responsibility like ooh, that. Ooh, where do I sign up? <laughs> I will handle the payroll, and I'm so dedicated I'll even sweep the restrooms if I need to. But just make sure I handle that payroll. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Cassidy had long planned to retire from the life of robbing banks and trains and to settle down as a respectable rancher. On November 3rd, 1908, near San Vicente in southern Bolivia, a courier for the Aramayo silver mine was transporting his company's payroll worth about 15,000 Bolivian pesos. So $4 (laughs) (laughs) by mule when he was attacked and robbed by two masked American men. The bandits then proceeded to the small mining town of San Vicente, where they lodged in a small boarding house owned by a local resident miner. He became suspicious, the guy who owned the rent house, whatever, the boarding house, he became suspicious of his two foreign lodgers. The mule they had in their possession was from the Aramayo mine, identifiable from the mine company's brand on the mule. Which they haven't been able to change yet. Which they have not been able to change yet. My old girlfriend's name. Mike would be so disappointed. (laughs) All that training I put into you boys. (laughs) He left his house and notified a nearby telegraph officer who notified a small Bolivian army cavalry unit stationed nearby. The union dispatched three soldiers to San Vicente where they notified the local authorities. What? Yeah. Hey, hey, you three sitting over there with your feet up. We got a real issue on our hands here. Get out there. What what drove me crazy was the amount of time and the amount of distance that this information like, you know, went. This guy has to talk to a telegraph officer who notifies the Bolivian army, who sends three guys to, you know, talk to local authorities. Three, by the way. Three. Yeah, three. But he, they, and, and they're not even doing anything either. They're going just to notify local authorities. Hey, uh, got a message for you here. I know it's late. So just, you know, it, it's not, I don't know. It just drove me crazy that like it had to, you know, change, you know, pass through like four different parties' hands just to get something done. <laughs> anyway, good old days, huh? Yeah, the good old days, right? What was good about those good old days? Mm, nothing that I can tell so far. <laughs> uh, on the evening of November 6th, so three days after that robbery of the payroll, the lodging house was surrounded by the soldiers, the police chief, the local mayor, and some of his officials, and they intended to arrest the RMIO robbers. You are surrounded. Come out of the house. We know you're in there. When the soldiers approached the house, the bandits opened fire, killing one of the soldiers and wounding another. Dude, they, I mean, after all they've been through, they didn't even try to, like, act like no one's home or negotiate. Yeah. (laughs) It's like I tell, like, like anytime my front door rings and my kids, they don't do this anymore because... I got onto them about it, but like the doorbell would ring and they would just like run and shove their faces up on the window, looking up at whoever's outside. And I'm like, what if it's a bad guy with a gun? And they're like, "Uh, now I'm scared. I'm like, great. Don't run to the door. Who? I don't care who it is. If it's Amazon, I'll go out and get the package afterwards. But whoever rings my door, nobody home here. (laughs) Why didn't they act like that? Uh, You know, that's a great, that's a great question. 
like a, t- a twig snaps or something like that. The hell was that? <laughs> Load your gun. <laughs> Come and take it. So a gunfight then ensued at around 2 a.m. So it goes on for a long time. Oh, wow. So around 2 a.m. during a lull in the firing, the police and soldiers heard a man screaming from inside the house. Soon, a single shot was heard from inside the house, and the screaming stopped. Minutes later, another shot was heard. The standoff continued as locals kept the place surrounded until the next morning when, cautiously entering... (laughs) I remember that part of the story. It's like nobody did anything until the morning time. Hey, you go in. No, you go in. No, I always go in. You go in. (laughs) I'm not going in. You drew the short straw this time. Okay, we'll just act like uh, like, like we're waiting until the sun comes up. So carefully entering, the authorities found two dead bodies, both with numerous bullet wounds to the arms and legs. One of the men had a bullet wound in the forehead, and the other had a bullet hole in the temple. A local police report speculated that, judging from the positions of the bodies, one bandit had probably shot his fatally wounded partner in crime to put him out of his misery just before killing himself with his final bullet. I'm all banged up. Well, I'm all banged up too. Well, shoot me. No, you shoot me. No, you shoot me. No, you shoot me. <laughs> That's probably why he was screaming in pain. There's like yelling out of frustration. You know, shoot so. me! <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> the Bolivian authorities didn't know their real names, nor could they positively identify them. The two men were buried at the small San Vicente Cemetery. Local authorities believed the two men were Butch Cassidy and Sundance. However, no one really knows for sure. Recent expeditions have traveled to San Vicente to find the remains and see if DNA in the graves match DNA from known descendants of both Butch Cassidy and Sundance. However, no such match has been made yet. And in the 1920s, a Dr. Francis Smith stated that he had seen a man claiming to be Cassidy who told him that his face had been altered by a surgeon in Paris and that he showed Smith a repaired bullet wound that Smith recognized as work he had previously done on Cassidy. Wow. So this guy shows up, doesn't recognize, or Dr. Smith doesn't recognize him. He says, I'm Butch Cassidy. He's like, no, you're not. I, I know Butch Cassidy. And he goes, well, no, I have my face altered. It's like the movie Face Off, I guess. Or Total Recall. Or Total Recall. <laughs> altered by a surgeon in Paris. Here, check out this bullet wound. Shows him a bullet wound, and Smith's like, oh, my God, I, I do remember doing that operation on Cassidy. You must be him. I was just so soapy out at the time. I couldn't remember. <laughs> I was just leaning away. I was doing a lean away. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, being uh, a criminal back then is a lot of hard work. Yeah. In a 1960 interview, Josie Bassett, so older sister of Anne. 1960? 1960. Wow. Yeah. She's old, 70, 80, something like that. But, I mean, the funny thing about this is, is like we're talking about all this, so that in like the big grand scheme of things, that wasn't that long ago. Not at all. So Josie Bassett claimed that Cassidy came to visit her after returning from South America. What is it about Cassidy returning to her instead of Anne every time he gets done with one, like, chapter of his life? Goes to jail, comes back, hey, Josie, how's it going? Hey, and then girl, gives hey. up on her. Then <laughs> <laughs> he goes to South America and comes back. Hey, baby. Well, I mean, you got to – back then, I mean – and I say back then. It wasn't that long ago, right? But, I mean, even a few years ago, <laughs> there's less people. You got to try all your options. You know, it's like they yeah, say, of course. Like, you'll, you'll never break a horse just sitting on the fence. That's true. I have given women more opportunity than I would say virtually anybody. They also didn't have Tinder back then, so, you know. <laughs> or Bumble. <laughs> or Bumble. So she claims that Cassie had come to visit her after returning from South America and was convinced that Butch died in Johnny, Nevada about 15 years ago. So she's saying he died in 45. I know there's a huge conspiracy around it. 
I, I didn't know that yeah. part of it right there that he went back and visited her. So there's like yet another witness that can claim that she saw him. Yeah. So then locals of Cassidy's hometown of Circleville, Utah, claimed in an interview that Cassidy worked in Nevada until his death. So like other people are saying it too. He was a mechanic down on the corner block. <laughs> Another story suggests that Cassidy faked his death and returned to the United States with a new name, William T. Phillips. You can add another name to the list. <laughs> it's funny, William, dude. People just don't – it doesn't matter. Criminals, whatever. If you capture the heart of people somehow, oh, they don't want to let you die. No, no. I mean this could, this could be true, right? Or it could right. totally be that they got shot up in that house and committed suicide and died in an unmarked grave uh which fine is, overcoat yeah down over south america it's it's people want to believe that tupac elvis and butch cassidy are <laughs> all living on an island somewhere oh yes so what added fuel to this guy's story you know the william t phillips is uh he wrote a book in the 1920s called the invincible bandit the story of butch cassidy and in it were details that only butch cassidy would have known were true Hmm. So another plausible, but, you know, who knows? While the debate lingers over when and where Cassidy truly died, there's little argument that he's considered one of the most revered outlaws to come out of the American West. His life and relationship with Sundance was immortalized in the 1969 Oscar-winning movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid starring Paul Newman Great film. Cassidy and Robert Redford as Sundance. Great film and great people. And that is the story of Butch Cassidy. So we don't life. know. The legend lives on of Butch Cassidy. But well, we he's know, probably dead by now. Maybe all this is made up. Yeah. Maybe somebody just sat down and, uh, you know, back in poor Richard's almanac, wrote a story about this guy named Butch in Sundance and none of this <laughs> ever happened. Who knows? That's right. Like I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what did happen, though, because we're talking about all of these uh, phrases and all of these, like, slang words. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't end the podcast without bringing up a few of the things that I looked at about what uh, male and female parts were called. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Anatomy. uh, Yeah. So if you go into the male parts, believe it or not, you know, we have our slang for male parts today. Of course. Uh, We'll keep this PG as far as the kids are concerned out there. But they back then in the Wild West, it would have been called or referred to as a maypole. A maypole. Master John Goodfellow. That was actually another one of Butch Cassidy's aliases. <laughs> Gentleman Usher. Gentleman Usher. Staff of Life. <laughs> Which is probably my all-time favorite behind Master John Goodfellow. Master John and then Goodfellow. Cyprian Scepter, which who knows? I got to do some research on that to figure out Cyprian where they came from. Cyprian Scepter. Yep. Then you've got the female parts. Uh, you've got the Phoenix's Nest. The Phoenix's Nest. The Netherlands, which you know, yeah, for I good think reason. that still holds. Uh, Mount Pleasant, <laughs> and then Mrs. Fubbs's Parlor. <laughs> it's like Madame Fanny's Brothel. There's got to be a story behind who Mrs. Fubbs was. Yeah, you don't Ms. get a Fubbs? name like that for the female parts without having someone in history. That goes along with that. It was Mrs. Fubbs what? Mrs. Fubbs's parlor. Fubbs's parlor. <laughs> so, oh, Master John Goodfellow. Oh, that's the best. Master John Goodfellow. That's what I'm going to start calling people who I really <laughs> don't yeah. like. Staff yeah, of life. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> that has such a much more important feel to it. Right, right. The staff of life. 
If you would like to connect with us, the best way to reach us is by email at info at success101podcast.com, or you can catch us in the world of social media. For myself, on Twitter, under the name Warren Jirid, on Instagram, under success101podcast, or on the Facebook Success 101 community page. Facebook for me, guys, Bo Coleman. On Twitter, I am Bodacious2691, and on Instagram, Bo underscore Coleman. We'll catch you guys on the next awesome episode of The Rundown. Rundown.